0: Salutations listener, welcome to the fourth episode of A Culture Made of Algorithms, a podcast that takes a look at our media consumption, the cultures it produces and the societies left behind. Before we get into the meat and potatoes of this week's episode, I want you to engage in a little exercise with me. Now first, I want you to close your eyes and take a minute to think about the people closest to you. These could be your friends and family members, you know, those who you spend the most time with. These could be the people you confide in, you know, talk to. Maybe they're the people you want to please. Who would you turn to if your relationship was in crisis? Is that nicest of people? Great. Keep your eyes closed though. We haven't finished. Who is a person in the public eye that you perhaps admire or look up to? Whose life would you? Like to know more about whose life would you like to aspire to be like, model yourself on? I know we talked about parasocial relationships last week, but don't worry, I'm not going to go into, I'm not going to start you know seal clubbing you here. Open your eyes now. So I know that we've been we've been focusing on the media and how we use it and how it infects us in previous episodes, but today I want to look at our culture a little bit more closely as we move into a series of episodes that focus on love our culture around love and towards love and about love, but also how love is depicted in pop culture texts. And today we're going to be looking at homosociality. I know I know, it's a, it's a tricky one, not sexuality, but sociality. But what exactly is homosociality? I know for some of you it might be a term you've never come across. I know for me it wasn't a phrase I was too familiar with all that long ago, but to explain it, I'm going to ask you to think back to that exercise at the start of the episode. Now, did your list consist mainly of people as the same gender expression as you? If the answer is yes, then there's a good chance that you may exist within a homosocial world. A homosocial world is an existence where our social groups and circles consist of people as the same sex as us. And it comes from the definition of two different words, to be fair. The first is homo, meaning same, and the second is social, meaning needing companionship. So, combined, a more literal translation is companionship of the same. There's an academic background for this text, however, and one of the texts I found was by Georges Louis Tin, and they argued that our world is still relatively feudal and we exist in homosocial worlds and homosocial cultures. What the writer argues is that our social structures exist in what is essentially a tiered system. One where we have people we want to impress at the top and these people typically hold a lot of power, a lot of influence as to how the people below them live. And we can exist in a number of feudal structures to be fair. It's not just one size fits all because a lot of these feudal structures are personalized and In a social context, the example of someone at the top doesn't have to be as drastic as our examples from last week, you know, they don't have to be celebrities or monarchs, but they can be someone who influences our lives. So if you have a parent at the top of your social structure or a best friend, it could be your boss at work, they can be at the top of your feudal structure and... Gaining these people's approval means that you're more likely to move up your feudal chain because their recognition means something to the entire group. Now, this theory is actually used to explain cliques within a friendship group too. Also, how two people can be seen to get on better than others in an entire group of friends. And drawing parallels to feudalism is important too. You know, In a feudal structure, particularly in a medieval or historical sense, there is a conflict in that chain of social mobility. peasants who are right at the bottom will fight amongst themselves to work up to the rank of farmer or merchant and farmers merchants and craftsmen may fight amongst themselves to become a vassal or a knight and vassals and knights can strive to be nobles and even the aspirational noble can become king and i've used figures of men deliberately here because the concept of homosociality itself is based on How traditionally heterosexual men socialize with and amongst other heterosexual men. Now, as such, the theory is primarily applicable to military structures, but it has other social contexts too. Even in prison systems, it has applications here because the entire system within a prison is homosocial. And it goes on to explain how sexual violence is used in military conflicts, but also in prisons. Also, more colloquially, you know, we've seen, you know, those rugby guys do some some pretty horrible things to one another. But at the essence of it, the concept argues that we use sexual violence as heterosexual men as a way to feminize men we consider enemies. More interestingly, though, is how the theory goes on to... Explain how sex is regularly used as a tool of violence against women, and funnily enough, it also helps explain how the woman aspect in so many heterosexual groups hardly matters because within a feudal structure, women are seen as things really—they're non-men things that are meant to be acquired and shown off. And look, we can see that happen quite often. You know, if we take, for instance, the idea of not having a beautiful partner, for example. Or at least a conventionally attractive one. Now, if you're the type of guy who rates women out of ten, what number would you be considered happy that your partner is? You know, out of ten? So if they were a six, would you be happy? What about seven? A nine? Okay. What would be wrong if that person was a four? What if what would be wrong if your partner was a four? And we're talking about you still being attracted to them. You know? They're still getting the blood flowing, all that kind of stuff. They they still get you weak at the knees. You know, you can hardly speak. Now, if there are four, are you still gonna go out with them? Not just in a dating sense, but literally go out with them, be seen in public with them, have them on social media on on Instagram. You know, putting love hearts against with your face mushed against theirs. You know, cheek to cheek. Are you happy for that four to be meeting your family? Are you happy for that four to meet your friends? You know, the friends actually had you think about it at the top of this episode, you know, are you happy are you happy for your love life and your social life to, to to mix? Now, if you've answered no, you can have so many different reasons for for your no. But there's two I want to focus on. The first is being embarrassed. What are you embarrassed about? Why is their lack of attractiveness uh, a source of embarrassment for you? What about if you're afraid of the reaction of your social group those two examples are evidence as to the potential that you live in a homosocial world and we have to remember that this attitude of being homosocial is both recognized and celebrated and it really does depend on your experience with popular culture you know phrases like saturdays are for the boys is a popular one at the moment, and it's a phrase that recognizes, necessarily, I might add, a man's need for brotherhood, you know, a need for friendship. However, it's a phrase that also places such a devotion to these boys that other pursuits must be abandoned to keep the admiration of these said boys. You know, your romantic attachments, your business interests, your familial commitments, your charity work, your religious outreach, your activism in the community, your self-betterment, even for the sake of rest. All of that must be frozen on Saturday for the admiration of that homosocial group. And there's actually a colloquial term here that does make me laugh a little bit. Um, People call them homosexuals, you know, to mean that you engage in heterosexual relationships, but your partner must have the approval of your other male friends. You know, if she's too ugly, you've got a binner, you know, if she takes too much time away from you being with your friends or playing on video games you know you've got to send her to the dumping ground you know does she try and change aspects of your life that you wanted to improve on make you a better man well goodbye Areva dirty there's also the other end of it too you know being in a relationship also brings about their disapproval because it means that to them you're abandoning the group it's a commitment issue and as such, you're encouraged to be one of the lads, one of the boys. You know, you're not meant to form meaningful attachments because you get the old ball and chain on you. You know, you're a changed man. And that attachment to women is going to feminize you. Now, look, as you can tell, homosocial groups have this homoerotic element to them, let's say. And like all homoerotic behaviors, homophobia is at the very core. And this is because femininity is seen as a weakness to homosocial groups. Anything ascribed to femininity is seen as a weakness. And as homosexuality is assumed feminine, it means being gay is an ostracized characteristic. Which is actually quite interesting, isn't it? Because it means that sexual violence against other men is accepted. But the moment men have the choice to form romantic attachments, even if it's to other men, the idea of the group falls apart. Now look, up until now, you might have been looking at me quite sideways and going, you know what, how on earth does a phrase like a feudal culture be applied to 21st century living? How on earth can you even begin to apply this to media texts? And thankfully, it's a ta- it's a topic I've tackled before, and in true art attack style, I've pre-prepared a part of this episode. So this next section is actually going to be an excerpt from a presentation I did on this section a few weeks ago, and... It's one which I used a media text to show this theory in practice and its role in society is entirely dependent on it being a media text at least a popular media text so in this instance I've applied the theory of homo of homosocial worlds to a mid-2000s political comedy it's a satirical comedy though um, it's called the thick of it you might have remembered it and I'm going to focus on one character in particular Oli Reader now Ollie Reader is a relatively big nobody. He's a massive nobody in the government's communications team. He's bullied by the head honcho of the communications department and is the show's anti-hero, Malcolm Tucker. That might ring bells for some of you because Malcolm Tucker was the guy for a long time. And now Malcolm Tucker, as the top of his homosocial group, is pretty militant. He's someone who gives out a number of homophobic slurs during each episode well during his time on the show he regularly resorts to violent threats and threats of sexual assault now ollie's peer group consists of other members from within the communications department too and his closest ally glenn is another communications officer who is uh let's say more respected than him in, his, in terms of experience but he's also seen as like a past his prime oath and has no sexual prowess and, as such, Ollie and Glenn find themselves on the same feudal level, and they regularly clash, and both are on the receiving end of Malcolm's bullying. However, Glenn, due to his age and experience in the in the field, does edge out over Ollie, particularly in the opening seasons, and Glenn gets to participate in a plan which has Ollie continue to date a member of the opposition against Ollie's will in order to gain Intel on their opponents muse before they make them public that is now in an interesting twist because ollie has no choice about a sexual partner in fact his partner is explicitly chosen by the high-ranking members of his homosocial group ollie's sexual agency becomes so far removed from his own sense of independence that he is accused of being gay when he plays squash with another man who happens to be outside of their homosocial group. Now look, Ollie's frustrations do do not mean that he is exempt from engaging in sexual violence himself. Ollie is a heterosexual man and as a heterosexual man he has the privilege of objectifying the women within his office and he gets to comment on their backsides and breasts as well as their size, their shapes and general attractiveness. And the show does allow Ollie's frustrations to come to light and addresses them. And after being cornered by Malcolm in the men's bathroom, which is an encounter with its own sexual connotations, Ollie refuses one of Malcolm's demands and claims that Malcolm is making making him uncomfortable. This then results in an allegation that Malcolm is a bully. However, Malcolm denies this allegation, flat out claiming that, Don't call me a bully, I am so much worse. There is a payoff for all of this torture, however. And Ollie's story arc concludes with him as the head of the communications department after Malcolm resigns and Glenn leaves the party altogether. As such, there's a subliminal message here that the text is not only one that upholds a homosocial structure, but it's one that abides and upholds these rules of hierarchical social structures, peer validation and sexual policing through violence. Additionally, the show maintains this ...as a standard by having the attempted escapee in the form of Ollie ...fail to escape the system which is oppressing him... ...by having his decision overturned by those higher up in his homosocial feudal chain. However, the show does reward him with a promotion... ...in both the literal and metaphorical sense... ...since he gets to outlast the abuse. Now look, whilst this theory is excellent in drawing parallels between sexual violence... ...and how people disassociate themselves from their victims it does have a typically heterosexual and thus heterocentric focus to it. So whilst it's great at making me and other heterosexual men reconsider the relationship and our proximity to women, it doesn't help people in the LGBT community who may have issues humanising their partners or who are victims of heterosexual men committing sexual violence against them. It also doesn't help them rethink the health of their social ties. But then there's a counter-argument to that, isn't there? Because queer theorists have always argued that for a while, homosexuality and non-traditional expressions of gender are exempt from many of the rules that heterosexual societies and patriarchal societies have created. And therefore, for when we transition, make the transition from public to private lives, there's a case to be made for the exemption of queer people from being considered as the perpetrators of sexual violence that this theory focuses on in the first place so look, as we begin to wrap this up we have to consider that the world that we live in is at least a homosocial one if not you personally we can see it happen in the world around us and with our interactions with people being simultaneously closer and more intimate whilst also being impersonal and distant ever before it's important that we reconsider how we engage and interact with the people around us Now look, it's going to be inevitable inevitable that we see a debate about if it's okay for your partner to have friends, true friends at that of the opposite sex, and whether or not our answer should be yes or no. But we have to remember that friends of the opposite sex allow us to learn about the world from completely different perspectives. It allows us to have access to insights that our own world can't provide. We get to have perspective of our own world with a new understanding and perhaps just perhaps though we can tackle the larger problem of sexual violence whilst we're there so that's all for this week's episode next time we're going to continue this theme of love by taking a look at victorian standards of romance and the media and how little has changed over 100 years so i look forward to seeing you next time and until then make sure to stay safe and stay well